0: Welcome to, once again, another Bible Study Live. Remember to like, comment, and share. Subscribe. We appreciate all of you who are on here and tuning in. Uh, All of my friends and uh, brothers and sisters, thank you for those who are in the building and those who are watching online. All right, let us bow our heads and let's go for a word of prayer. As we start, dear gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, we appreciate you, we honor you, we thank you, we magnify you. God, we ask that you will look on us as we study, encourage us, build us up, give us wisdom that you have for us, give us revelation, allow it to flow freely, unhindered, unchecked, and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic forces, and God, let it reach what it's supposed to reach, and let it be taught in the way it's supposed to be taught, and we thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God for uh, another wonderful day to be in the house of God amongst the people of God. Whether in the building or online, it's just a blessing uh, to be in the uh, land of the living and in the house of God. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And when you log in online, you're making a space. You're making that your temple. So it's a beautiful thing. All right, we're going to uh, move into our study for today and something that we have been uh, sticking with quite uh, regular lately. And it's been what I'm calling the kingdom series. So we've been in this series just talking about the kingdom. And we talked about king of kings first and then kingdom come. And then uh, Sister Kelly came in with there's a king in me. In between, we had Pastor Matt give us his testimony. and Then last week, we parked on this idea, kingdom wealth, kingdom wealth. So we're going to start by just defining kingdom uh, one uh, definition. There are several definitions, and these are ones I chose. One says, a realm under the control of a particular person or thing. And number two, I found it fascinating because this was not a Bible dictionary, but this is what the dictionary says, the spiritual reign or authority of God, the rule of God or Christ in a future age. And so that's how we've really been looking at it, except for what the dictionary says, a future age. What we've been saying is both present age and future age that the goal is that the kingdom would begin to come now in us, through us, so we actually are establishing the kingdom and not just looking for the future age. And one one of the things that we spoke about is having the escapist mentality of just trying to escape to get to heaven. But instead of having that mentality, a mentality that talks about the kingdom coming right now here on earth, and we are actually helping and ushering because we are part of the kingdom, and we are actually kings under the king. So that's been the whole idea Of what we've been discussing. And so I wanted to take some time to talk about wealth for the simple fact that most time when you think of king, you think of wealth. When you think of a kingdom, you think of wealth. You don't really think of poor kings, which it's possible and uh, it has happened, but that's normally not where our mind goes to. When you think of queen and king, you think of authority, rule, reign, power, but you also think of some type of wealth, specifically monetary wealth, material wealth, or wealth in land, something like that. And so we wanted to uh, discuss that because that is a part of this kingdom. And so we looked at a definition for wealth, and just a basic definition is plentiful supplies of a particular resource. So this definition doesn't say what resource, it just says a plentiful amount or plentiful supply of a particular resource. A lot of times we think money, but it can mean a myriad of things. And so if your family doesn't have a lot of money, but you have a lot of love, you are a family that's wealthy in love, even though you may not be wealthy in money at the particular time. So wealth is a relative word that speaks of many things but the, one of the most common definitions of wealth is monetarily. When you think of wealth, you think of means and money. So we wanted to talk about that as it relates to the kingdom. Wealth, once again, is not only money, but money is included in wealth. It's part of the package, but you can be wealthy in several things. And as we have been discussing from the beginning of the year till now, when we talked about uh same me and better me. We talked about being better people and better Christians, and we've been kind of dealing with that, our growth pattern. And so the first thing that we think of when we think of wealth it should be our spiritual wealth or our spiritual health. Our spiritual health equals spiritual wealth. And so that's important. The Bible says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I believe that's how it, it says. And so, uh, Being poor in spirit is not saying that your spirit is poor. It's when you understand you're poor in spirit and you do something about it. Blessed are those people because they recognize the poverty of their spirit and they're trying to grow in that area. They're actually trying to be wealthy in their spirit and they're healthy in their spirit. So so that is very important. It's so important that the Bible uh, states and we we touched on this last week as well that uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, and it means how Jacob was concerned about spiritual things, and Esau was only concerned about natural things. So let's get that out of the way first, that our focus is always spiritual first. That's If, if we don't ever get or see any material wealth in this age, it doesn't bother us because we are wealthy spiritually, and we also know the age to come will by and large bring a level of wealth because there will be no uh, greed, no sin. Uh, so, So you know you're going to make it once you cross over. So our focus is always spirituality first. But having said that, we can't mitigate and forget that material wealth plays a part. And so If we are going to operate in the kingdom of God, we're going to have to know how to use material wealth. We're going to have to learn how to use earthly resources. In order to bring the kingdom to this earth, we're going to have to understand how to operate in this earth system. We want to live above it, but sometimes we have to operate in it. The Bible says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And how I like to look at it is a fish is... In the water but it's also of the water because if you pull the fish out of the water it can't survive because it's both in water and of the water and when you pull a fish out of the water you have to quickly get it in some type of water or it will not survive but us as humans we are not of the water so we can be in the water we can go swimming we can go in the lake we can go in the ocean but then we can come back on land and be totally fine because we can be in it, but since we're not of it, we're not dominated by it. Same thing with the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. So we can exist outside of the world. We don't need the world to exist. In him do we live. In him do we move. In him do we have our beings. Our existence is spiritual, but we are in the world. And so when you're in the world, you got to understand how the world operates. Let's go back to that example. When you're in the water, if you don't understand water, you will drown because you have to know how to swim. You have to know how to navigate the waters. You need to know how to have a flotating device or be on a boat, be above the water. Even though you can function both in water and on land, you have to understand the water so you don't uh, uh, drown or die in it. Same thing with us in the world. We have to be in the world But we have to understand it so the world doesn't take us under. So we got to learn how to deal with money. We have to learn how to deal with people, relationships, many practical things we have to learn. And one of the problems with people who focus on spirituality, sometimes they focus on spirituality, absence of practicality. And that usually makes for poor Christians because you have to understand how to be practical. It's an old famous saying says, that you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good so we don't want to be like that we want to know how to exist in both realms specifically understanding how to exist in the earth because we're trying to call the kingdom to the earth we're trying to establish the kingdom in the earth Uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven so we're trying to affect the place that we're in so we have to understand many of the things that we deal with and wealth is one of those things so what we did. In order to uh, talk about it, we mainly focused our attention on the negative. The more we can f- uh, deal with the negative, the better off uh, we will understand how things work. So let's let's go to the scripture here, and I'm going to leave the scripture up for a second. The scripture is: "For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money." have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And then what I did is I asked this question, how do we know if we are loving money? And then I said that I wasn't going to answer it yet. I was actually going to teach on other things and come back and pick up uh, that question. And so how we answered it was by looking at Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 20. So I'm going to go back to... Uh, First Timothy, I'm going to leave that up for a second for it to kind of sink in, and then we'll go go ahead and we'll teach from there. All right. Once again, as we're looking at that, one thing to remember that it does not say what people often say. People often say the Bible says the uh, uh, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. It says for the love of money. So I'm glad you're able to see that and look at it and know that when people tell you money is the root of all evil, they are misquoting what the Bible says. The Bible simply says for the love of money. So that's why we had to ask the question, are we loving money? And then we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Solomon is the writer of Ecclesiastes, a very, very wealthy man, arguably the wealthiest man that ever lived. There are some uh, discrepancies, but he's in the top two at least. So Let's look at verse 10. So Ecclesiastes 5 uh, has a very familiar start. Anybody who's grew up in church, if you read verse 1, it's very familiar, especially if you grew up in the Kojic church. But if you get down to verse 10, he he shifts and he begins to talk about uh, wealth. Now, the whole uh, idea of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, at the end of his life, realizing that there are a lot of things that he dibbled and dabbled in were really worthless and useless in the grand scheme of things. We have to understand knowing that Solomon was very great, very wise, achieved a lot of things, but because of some of his weaknesses, he lost his way, and he got to a point where he actually uh, served and worshiped other gods, the very thing that his father told him not to do. And so at the end, when he's writing Ecclesiastes, he's he's quite lost in many things, and he's, he's challenging life and understanding the vanity of life, And he's really kind of resetting himself. And so by the time you get to the end of the book, you pick up on the fact that he realized that much of the stuff that he had was not um, didn't amount to anything as it relates to God. So as he goes through writing this book, you pick up on certain things. And and here's one of the key things we we see in chapter 5. I believe there's 12 chapters, either 12 or 13 chapters. So this is like midway through you see him say this so let's look at uh verse 10 whoever loves money so this is written well before 1st Timothy where well before Paul even mentions it he says whoever loves money never has enough whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income this too is meaningless uh of course i'm parking in the middle of the chapter so this this too is meaningless Means that throughout this book, he talks about all the things in life that are meaningless. And he's talking about the idea of actually loving money because money was never made to be love. Money is actually a horrible relationship partner, it's a horrible bedfellow because you can never get satisfaction out of it, true satisfaction out of loving something that is an inanimate object, something that is an object that was only made to be used. In other words, it was made to be a tool, but it was not made to be loved. The hammer is perfect for the nail, but if you start loving the hammer, then you're mixing up the purpose. And so when you have an improper relationship with money, you have an improper relationship with material things to the point where you are loving it, then you're you're going down the wrong path because it can never fulfill you because it was never designed to uh, be that it was designed to be used it was designed to be a tool it plays its role it has its purpose but when you have an improper relationship with it then uh you're in trouble so as we uh as we move forward let's look at um verse 11 verse 11 says this as goods increase So do those who consume them, and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? So one of the issues that you have, specifically when you're loving a material thing, that the only good you can do at some point is just to look at it. It doesn't do anything for you. So you can have 12 cars, but you really can only drive one at a time. So at some point, you're only going to be looking at it. So if you start just accumulating wealth without any purpose, without any reason, and simply because you're in love with it, then as the goods increase, the less likely it is that it will fulfill you and it will satisfy you. It will start looking at you and you'll start looking at it. Many of us realize even in our own life that we have a lot of things in our homes that just collect dust. Oh, I wanted it. I really had to have it. But, man, when's the last time I wore it? When's the last time I used it? It loses its luster after a while. And so if that becomes your sole goal, and the problem with loving money is you know that. You know it doesn't satisfy, but you can't help yourself. You just keep increasing goods. You keep grabbing things. And then it's just a downward spiral where you have to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction in something else. And if you don't know God, most people usually find something damaging to fulfill that need, that void that they're trying to fill with money. All right, moving on. Verse uh, 12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet. So that now here's a contrast. Whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So the contrast here is that the person who loves the money, now, now Solomon says for the rich, but we understand he's not talking about just any rich. He's, he's specifically talking about the rich that love their money. So so we can't use this verse and say the Bible says rich people can't get any sleep. It's, it's talking about a specific type of rich person, the one who's in love with their money. It says actually the comparison is there are people who don't have as much who actually have more peace more sleep because they are labor they work for everything they have and they actually can rest while the other person who's in love with their money they can't get sleep so actually it becomes a miserable existence to live a life where you are in love with wealth because it can't provide anything for you you it's like i said it's a horrible bedfellow you you're doing everything for it but it can't do anything for you You can use it, but it can't do anything for you. Money can't cure loneliness. It can bring people around. The prodigal son figured that out, that once the money was gone, the friends were gone. So he never really had friends. He was renting friendships. He was renting relationships. And so money can't cure loneliness. It can't fix your health. And so when you love it and it leaves you empty, sometimes the person who does not have near as much is uh, better off because they're able to work hard and rest. And in uh, the Hollywood's terms, the day-to-day worker is seen as, ah, they're just the regular Joe Schmoe. And the wealthy person, they're the celebrity. But sometimes the wealthy person will tell you they would trade places to be with the other person just so they could get some rest just so they could have some peace. So in your desire to want more, don't ever trade in peace for more because you're making a horrible trade. Understand that the lot you have, the portion you have is actually a blessing. And then from that place, then you can grow into maybe acquiring wealth because you're not going to love it. So that should be the goal. All right, let's move on to verse 13. Then he says, This, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Now, a lot of people have seen the show called Hoarders, where it's kind of disgusting, where you see people just hoarding stuff that they don't need. And you look at their homes and it just looks gross. And you say, Well, there's no way I would ever want to live like that. And then when people are asked why they do it, they can't tell you. I can't tell you why I accumulate that. Like I've got, you've got a pile high of Domino's boxes. There's no pizza in the box. It's just boxes and boxes of dominoes. Well, why don't you throw that away? I don't know. I can't. They're hoarding. We understand that as it relates to just stuff. But as it relates to money, people don't understand that that hoarder mentality actually harms people. And because They are on yachts or on vacations, in mansions, in nice cars, have servants. We assume that they are okay. But Solomon is talking from the vantage point of having all that stuff. And he says, you know, one of the worst evils is a person who has wealth and hoards it to their own harm. In other words, instead of having wealth and using it as a tool to bless themselves and bless others, They have actually used wealth to their own detriment. They've actually hurt themselves. And there's countless of stories of people who have harmed themselves with something that should be good. This really makes the devil laugh because he understands that wealth can be life-changing in a good way for people. And so if he can trick them to take a life-changing moment and make it horrible for them to where their end is worse than their beginning, all he does is sit back and laugh. They talk about uh, lottery winners, how the vast majority of them, many of them, their life is worse off after winning the money than it was before. Relationships messed up, all kinds of things messed up, and a lot of them don't even have the money because great amounts of wealth takes great amounts of wisdom to handle it. And so if you are wealthy and unwise, the wealth harms you and hurts you. And you take people who are hard workers, sometimes we wish we could have the wealth of the person who's blowing it because we know we wouldn't blow it because we 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 we've made ends meet with little. So how is it that you are blowing your life with a whole bunch? And so Solomon said it's actually it's it's a terrible evil. It's like a wicked thing to see someone harm themselves with wealth, which it should be a blessing. But if you're hoarding it, it's going to hurt you. So we don't want that mindset. And that all that comes out of the first initial step is having an improper relationship with money, getting to the place where you love money. Once you love money, then the bottom drops out. It's all downhill from there. Okay, how you dress it up with your suits and your red carpet and your dinners and you're, you're flying on private jets. If you love money, the bottom is falling out somewhere time somewhere. And so we need to be warned about that. Why should we be warned about that? Because at some point we should want wealth to to uh, to use it for good. And so we got to understand and realize now that we don't want to be in love with it. So we don't want to lust after other people that have it. We don't want to envy after other people have it. We don't want to be jealous. We want to be willing to wait our turn, but we want to make sure that we have our priorities in the proper place because we want to love God. We want to love people. We want to love ourselves and we want to use money. But if you love money, then you're going to use people. You probably won't love yourself and you're going to have a hard time loving God. So we don't want it flipped, uh it you know, in the reverse. We want it in, in the right way. So if we've had to wait to get it, then you have to understand the way is worth it if my spirit is right once I get it. I often think about my life as it relates to my children and how it took us several miscarriages to have the children that we have. But when I step back and look at how things played out in my life, I was a minister by 21. I didn't have my first child until 31, going into 32. And so Yes, I wanted children earlier. We tried. We were unsuccessful. We struggled with infertility. That was a hard period. That was a hard decade. But as I began to father my children, it dawned on me that possibly when I first started in ministry and had children, I possibly, because of my, uh, I guess, say, my desire to be a good minister. I probably would have put the church in front of the kids. I probably would have had a hard time juggling ministry and family life, which a lot of preachers do. They, they don't know how to uh, help the world and not lose their family. So even though I didn't like the waiting and I didn't like the pain of the miscarriages all, I had to tell myself that I was a much better father when they came than when I actually wanted them because my priorities were better off in place. And even me and my wife, we were in a better space. We had went through the hiccups of of relationship trouble. We were much better parents. And so when people congratulate me on the success of my children, I have to stop and think that it was God forcing me to be patient that made me where I am to where my children are successful and people look at me and say, I'm a good father and my wife's a good mother. It was actually the fact that I had to wait. So as it relates to wealth, some of us have waited. And honestly, it is really a good thing because had you had abundance of these things at a young age, you probably would have blown it. You probably would have messed it up your relationships probably would have been messed up. You probably wouldn't love God the way you love God. So the fact that he made you wait and it's going to come later in life is actually a blessing because you'll have more wisdom. You'll have uh, more purpose with it. You won't be so willing to blow it. You'll be willing to understand that I need to set my children's children up. I'm not just going to blow it on a whole bunch of purses and a whole bunch of meaningless stuff. I'm I'm understanding what Solomon is saying because Solomon had to figure this out toward the end of his life. he was saying some of this stuff is worthless. And so you've been through some of that. You understand that some of you guys have had debt hanging over your head and you finally break free and get out of debt. And then you have wealth come in. You're not gonna get in a whole bunch of debt because you just, you understand, you've been there, you know better. And so sometimes waiting is really a blessing. There's a blessing in being forced to wait. All right, verse 14. Or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. So, like, again, blowing it. So then, then I went through and talked about this uh, BMF, which is the Black Mom- Mafia Family, a uh, a series that's on television that talks about young men in Detroit in the crack era in the late 80s, early 90s, and how uh, they grew their crack empire from Detroit to Atlanta. And there's many stories like that and many uh um, movies that come out after the fact. Snowfall is the one that talks about that. It's about uh, the basically it's about the Rick Ross story. The uh, not the rapper, but the real person in the crack epidemic in uh, Los Angeles. And honestly, we've seen the results of much of this stuff on the negative side. We've seen a lot of the the uh, what we call crack babies, what people have called crackheads. We we've seen it. We we've lived through it. But a lot of times we didn't get to see the other end, like the real world people making the money and the wealth. So when these stories come out, they're fascinating. It's actually good television. But the truth of the matter is, it was really a horrible time period because the government had the government had really left out uh, okay. communities. Okay, I found this on the web for that's on television that talks about. Let me get Siri to hush up over here. She's at least I got one amen from Siri, but it it uh so so it's fascinating television, but the problem is is that the way things were set up in the eighties, especially the way the black community was really left out of things, because the eighties was a time of wealth, and they talked about trickle down economics, but it never trickled down t- all the way to the ghetto, so. The problem was that they were showing all this wealth all the time. You were watching uh, TV shows like Dallas, and uh, it was a time where, where people have television and lifestyles of the rich and famous, and they're seeing all this stuff, and they can never get it, they can never have it. And so once there was an opportunity to get it, it was in an illegal way, and so many people jumped to that opportunity. Not really understanding that it was going to further crush and kill low-income families, ghettos. It was going to make things worse. But for the moment, it was one way to grab a piece of the American dream. So the stories are really, really fascinating. But it really crippled a whole segment of people. It crippled and hurt and harmed so many And black and brown people suffered the most for especially once they turn around and did the war on drugs, it ended up becoming the war on black and brown people because powder cocaine was treated different than crack cocaine. And then people begin to be uh, ripped away from families for the later 90s and early 2000s. You see long prison sentences and it really hurt us. But it all come from that love of money from the fact that government that didn't care about uh, the trickle down really trickling down, they, uh, the trickle was really a drop, it wasn't a real, wasn't a flow, and it could have been, because government has a bunch of money, they could have made sure uh, across the board people were tasting a piece of the American dream. I know I'm I'm getting sidetracked a little, but it's important. The ideas of things like redlining, redlining basically was a way To where people could not get a piece of the American dream. You could work a blue-collar job and have money, but then you couldn't get a uh, loan to get a job, so people couldn't get out of the ghetto even if they wanted to. And then drugs infiltrated in, and some of those same people who would have been out and couldn't get out end up getting hooked on stuff and losing uh, everything. Now, it doesn't take it out of the responsibility of people. Some people still made poor choices. But from the top to the bottom, it was the whole system of the capitalistic love of money system that ruined a whole generation of people, and we're still dealing with the ramifications of that. We're still dealing with people who grew up without fathers because their fathers were in prison, and then they're making babies, and now they're raising babies, and what we're dealing with comes through all of that. So having given a little extra context Really, you can paint it this way: blowing money fast. That's really what it ended up being from uh, everybody, except for some of the high-profile lawyers and governors and those people, because they were taking money and putting it in offshore accounts, and they, you know, that j- it's just wicked. It's just wicked. But some some of them did have some of the same effects that we saw with other people. But at the end of the day, most people either end up dead, in prison, or health all out of whack. It, there was just nothing really good that came out of it. It was just blowing through money fast, and it's it was horrible. So, and it's not just the, the drug era, but I speak about that because that's something that we know we saw. But you can take it in many other places where the money became the God and just see how, like I said, the bottom falls out at some point. It, it blows up. Even the what they call the dot-com era, where it was not illegal, it was legal. They were making legal money with websites, and, and things blew up in a good way. But you still look at some of the stories, many of them, their lives were ruined because there was no brakes. They couldn't figure out how to pump the brakes, and it destroys things. Then there was the housing bubble, Uh, Where in 2008, we see where all these real estate people and and these mortgage companies, they were making money hand over fist, sending out mortgages that really were not legitimate, that people didn't have the money. They were maxing people out. But then the bubble bust and the whole economy tanked. So is nothing good in loving money and making money a God and making my, my shirt says God first. And so when you put money, material things first, there's nothing good that comes out of it. It can only temporarily be good a good ride, but it's like a roller coaster. You're going to go up, but you're going to come crashing down. So the Bible makes a better way of saying it, and it just says it this way, ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. That's the NIV saying it. The New Living says, tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. And the Amplified says it this way, treasures of wickedness and ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness and moral integrity in daily life rescues from death. So, in every genre, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's hip-hop, the rock and roll, whether it's uh, businesses, any situation where there is some type of tainted wealth, illegal wealth, or ill-gotten gains, or even if it's illegal but it's done greedily, You look at America where there was uh, America became America doing doing it on the backs of slavery. But if you look at how divided we are now and how over the time all the hate and evil that has happened in our country, we started off wrong. We started off building our wealth on the backs of uh, slave labor. So there's nothing good that can come out of evil wealth. And loving wealth is evil. So knowing that, that should help us be okay with staying away from it until the time is right. All right, let's look at verse 15. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? Then here's something powerful. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. So Solomon is giving you a glimpse to what many people don't get a chance to see, that when the rubber meets the road and when those people have to look at themselves in the mirror, the ones who have done all these things to get the wealth, many times they can't stand the person that they see. They're eating in loneliness, anger, they're hurt, they're frustrated, they're confused, and sometimes because of what Hollywood has projected to us, we look and we think, oh man, they don't have no problems, they don't have no issues, and they would trade their problems for ours because they did everything the world said to do, and they're lost, they're confused, they're hurt, and so... Solomon is giving us a glimpse. Listen, you you can't love money because all it's going to do is hurt you in the end. Once again, it's a horrible bedfellow. It's a horrible relationship partner. All right, let's look at this. And so here, this is how I simplified all that. If you can't take it with you, should you really sell your soul for it? So I condensed everything on Sunday into just that simple statement. If you come in naked and you leave naked since you can't take it with you, Should you sell your soul for it? Should you hurt crucial, important relationship for it? Should you stab people in the back for it? Should you do all these evil things that we've seen for back in, even in the day I grew up in, the starter jackets came out. The NBA starter jackets came out. The Jordans came out. People were killing each other for those things. I'm like, is it really that important for me to kill another soul over it and I can't take it with me? It's not like... I kill you then, well, at least I got these Jordans when I go to, uh, to heaven. Well, more, more than likely if I kill you, then I'm gonna be going to hell. I'm not gonna be able to take my Jordans with me. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth me getting you hooked on fentanyl just so I can have some nice things in my closet. That's It's not worth it. Hell is not worth it. So if you can't take it with you, should you sell your soul for it? Many of us know that because we have it, but sometimes we're made to feel like, man, we should do something illegal or wrong to get it because the way we've had to go is much harder, but it's better to go the hard way than at the end of the day, lose your soul. And so this is what the very next verse says that I talked about. Luke nine twenty-five. what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? And this is uh, Jesus's words. So back to the Question: How do we know if we are loving money? And so, I wanted to come back to this statement. I wanted to teach it how I taught it, but then I wanted to come back to the original topic that we talked about in First Timothy six ten. But I wanted to give extra context because most people, they like I said, they misquote it. They say money is the root of all evil. They normally misquote it, but those who do quote it right, they usually only focus on the tenth verse, but they don't go back. So I wanted to go back and let's look at the ninth verse. 1 Timothy 6, 9. It says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. I'm going to take a moment to talk about this because someone will say, well, I long to be rich. So does that say that I'm wrong? No, you have to look at the full context of the verse. The full context says, Those people, they fall into temptation and then they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So some people look at people who have money and automatically think, oh man, they they just love money. They're wrong. They're evil. But you can't say that if their life isn't plunged into ruin and destruction, if they're not trapped by foolish things. In other words, if you see me becoming wealthy, and all my family still loves me, all my church still appreciates me, they still say, man, you you really helped me, like the money didn't change me, I didn't change, I didn't lose my mind, I didn't lose my way, then you can't say that I am wrong for having money or that I'm a lover of money. So some people automatically assume when a person has something, they assume they're doing something wrong to get it. And that's the problem with the world so many of them have done so much wrong to get it that when they see people with the church that have it, they automatically think the church has done something wrong, especially if it's a pastor. If I have a nice watch, if I have a Rolex, they automatically think, oh, you stealing from the people. You ain't no good. You you dirty. Oh, but you're only saying that because you are dirty and you love money. And so you automatically assume that I'm loving it. But the scripture says that those who do love it they plunge into ruin and destruction. You can actually look at their life and tell. In other words, if I was this person before I got it, and I was this person after I got it, and it's a much worse person, yes, I'd love the money. But if if I stayed the same or got better, you can't say that I love money. So just because a person has money or longs to be rich doesn't make them bad, it's what happens next. So what you need to do, you actually need to watch people over time to see. And so that's why you can't just judge a book by its cover. So uh, I'll say this. I don't automatically ju- judge a preacher who has money. Man, this preacher's flying around in private jets. He ain't no good. I can't say that yet. I need to look at his life for a period of time. And there are some people that folk have judged and said that they're no good, but I've looked at him over 25, 30-year period of time, and all they've done is good. All they've done is help people. All they've done is make good choices, no scandals, no issues. You can't Call them an evil person. So you have to understand things in their context. Now let's look at that verse, uh, the famous verse, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now people forget this part. And some people, so it doesn't say all, but some people craving money have wandered, wandered past tense from the true faith and pierced past tense themselves with many sorrows. The reason why I say past tense, because you can pinpoint it. You can pinpoint when they started loving money because over a period of time, you can see they pierced themselves with many sorrows. Me and Lady Devin been married 23 years. Next thing you know, I get money and now I'm on my sixth wife in four years. You know something's wrong. You can tell I pierced myself. You went this far without money, without a whole lot of money, and you had a strong marriage, and all of a sudden you get money, and the next thing you know, you're a total different person, and I can look at it. I can see. I can see where you pierced yourself with sorrows. I can see your kids don't like you. They don't want to be around you. The folk, the folk in your church all have exited, and now you've got all this money, but you only have a few people in the church. Nobody wants to log in and tune into you online. Then it's obvious you have pierced yourself with many sorrows. It's obvious that you've loved money. But if those things come into your hands and your life gets better— and everything gets better. You're more generous. You give to more people. If you look at 1 Timothy 6, which I didn't take the time to do, if you look at it, it tells people, hey, if you are wealthy in this world, this is what you should do. It tells them to be generous. And so Paul wouldn't tell uh, wealthy people to be generous if all wealthy people are going to hell. You, You have to read the Bible in context and understand it. So the love of money, once again, it's the root of all kinds of evil. And a person, once they start loving money, then a whole bunch of evil starts flowing into their life. Either they become evil or they'll see evil. And at the end of the day, their life is worse off. So before you judge a book by its cover, look and see what has happened to their life. And All right. Now, this is one of the reasons why you can tell. So here's a very powerful scripture. Proverbs 10, 22. It says this. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So how can I say it's you're bad to be rich? Well, Paul said, if you long to be rich, you're in trouble. But contextually, it's saying if you long to be rich so that you can love the riches, you're in trouble. But if you wait on God and you allow God to transfer wealth in your hand and allow God to make you rich and no sorrow comes with it, then it's a beautiful thing because then people attribute it. That is God. This, Andre couldn't have done this. That had to be God. And then people glorified God. And then the next thing you know, they says, man, you know, uh, back in the day, Deliverance Temple used to feed the hungry, but now they're feeding all kinds of homeless people. That's amazing. God is good. So when people are praising God because of the wealth that you're using to bless people, that's not the devil. That is God. And some people are like, oh, they're just doing that so they can uh, uh, they just tricking y'all, cause really what they doing? They want to uh, be in their Rolls Royces. But listen, if I fed over a million homeless people, it's okay for me to drive a Rolls Royce. Don't don't act like I got to spend all my money on the poor. I I I should be generous. I should give, but I can take care of myself too. So it's it's about balance. It's about a person being proper. And here's the thing: generous people, if they get more, all they'll do is be more generous. Stingy people, if they get more, all they'll do is be more stingy. So you can tell whether a person is operating out of wealth because of blessing or operating out of wealth because they're loving money. Here's the thing. Uh, Satan just copycats God. So if God blesses with money, what do you think Satan will do? He'll curse with it. So Satan will bring money to people for the sole purpose of cursing them. God will bring money to people for the sole purpose of blessing. So all you have to do is look at a person's life. Did their life look like it got blessed or cursed because of what came to them? That lets you know whether it was a blessing from God or a curse from the devil. All right, and so we answering that final question, that major question, here's the answer. Wealth filled with multiple sorrows and a lost soul is not kingdom wealth. It's the love of money. It's that point blank. It's that simple. When people have lost their soul, They're filled with multiple sorrows. They're like, like you can't even hardly reach them with the gospel. They just, they feel like they're too far gone. They're lost and they're just, I'm just going to have my money and die. Those people, they loved money and it hurt them. It was to their detriment. That's why Solomon said it's a grievous evil to see people actually harm themselves with something that should be a blessing. So when, but if you take a person, man, they come to church more, they give more They want to help more. How can you say that that person is wrong to have money? They're doing more for the kingdom. They're blessing more people. They are taking care of things like, oh, man, I'm paying off some student loans. One of the wealthiest black men, actually not one of, the wealthiest black man in America, if you uh, just look it up, it'll show you who he is. You'll find out how benevolent he is how giving he is, and how he has blessed uh, uh, students and paid off student loans. And so he hasn't pierced himself with many sorrows. He's actually been a blessing. Steve Harvey, who we know and who has a level of wealth, will talk about how this guy trained him and how his level went up once he got in a room with this guy, and this guy helped him more. And there's a lot of People who are wealthy, who are not stingy with their information because they really want to help people. They're trying to buck the system, the system of uh, like keeping all the tax information and hiding stuff so nobody else can get it. So the regular common man can't get it. There's a new breed of wealthy people who are trying to share information. They're like, if I eat, we all eat. I want all of us to grow. What is happening is God is switching the system. He's switching it from the world system and the way the world handles wealth, and he's switching it to the kingdom wealth. And the kingdom wealth is generous. It's helpful. It blesses others. It doesn't get the big head. If I can wear a level of clothing that you can't wear, it doesn't make me better than you. Because at the end of the day, many times, I'm just paying for the name. So, Do you realize sometimes the Michael Kors bag and the Louis Vuitton bag have the same type of leather? You're just paying for the Louis name for the $3,000 bag versus the $300 bag. And so if wearing the $3,000 bag makes me feel like I'm better than the person that has the $300 bag, then I have an improper relationship with wealth. What real wealthy people know who are wealthy in the right way, they understand it's only a tool. It doesn't make me better than anyone else, and I actually should be trying to share and, and some of the biggest, what we call philanthropists, which are givers, and actually that word comes from the uh, Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love, where we get the city, Philadelphia. That's where the word philanthropy and philanthropist comes from. It's I love my fellow man so much that I'm actually benevolent. I actually use my wealth to help to change education systems, to change housing systems, to change drug epidemics. I'm actually using my wealth to help. Do you realize that even now in the opioid crisis, there were doctors and pharmacists that knew it was going to addict people, but they wanted to pay for their houses, their boats, and their yachts, so they kept subscribing stuff that they knew was going to mess people up, get people hooked, and then uh, when it was sold on the black market, do you know that some of them were writing scripts to give to the dealers to sell to people? That was evil, to be willing to to addict a whole generation of people. But because they're not known as drug dealers and they were known as pharmacists and doctors, they got a chance to get away with it. But it was evil. But there's another group of people that are saying, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to just put everybody in prison who's on drugs. We actually want to pay to build treatment centers. And we want people to not be put in prison because Prison is free labor for someone else. I don't actually want free labor. I want to help people. Prison is the new slave system. I know, no, I want to change things. I want to use my wealth to benefit my country, my city, my neighborhood should be better because I got blessed. That's kingdom wealth. All right, so uh, having said that, we got to uh, hurry up. Ecclesiastes 5 18, this is where I finally went to the good part. This is what I have observed to be good that it is appropriate for a person to eat, drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. I read it in another version. I won't do it now. I'll just make this statement. Instead of always trying to take a shortcut to wealth, find joy in the grind. So find joy in the simple things like, like yes, you you're you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, but find a way to praise God on the way to your wealthy place. Thank God for everything that you've gone through because it's going to help you do this. You're going to work hard, play hard, or work hard, play harder. You're actually going to be even a greater blessing because of what you've been through. Verse 19 says this, moreover, when God gives someone wealth, so wealth can't be bad if God's going to give it to people because the scripture says God when God gives someone that wealth. So we can't act like wealth is bad. Wealth is neutral. It's made either good or bad by the person. So when moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So how do you know you're operating in the love of money versus something different when you can't even enjoy it? You can't even be happy in your toil you can't uh, praise god. You can't even come to church cuz you got to make more money. But then there's another group of people that even the little they have god stretches it and they're they're able to give. They're they're eager to give to the kingdom of god. They're happy that they can enjoy it. They enjoy life, even the small things, the big things. They enjoy uh working for what they work for. They enjoy building their businesses. They they enjoy the simple things and then god gives them more. That's a beautiful thing. And so we close with this. We're talking about March Madness because we were in that season of March Madness. And we said said, instead of March Madness, what we're looking for is actually March Gladness. And I use that because of the month of March actually having the command March in it. And because of the final verse of this Ecclesiastes 5, uh, 20, which is the final verse that we talked about. It says this, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them Occupied with gladness of heart. Now, this is not just a random scripture. In its context, it's talking about the difference between those who love money and those who receive money from God in the right and the proper way. It says those people are at the end of that, they are filled with gladness. They don't even worry about the past. They're able to sleep, they're able to rest, they're able to enjoy life. They're able to move forward. Their faith is big. Their hope is big. They're waiting to uh, be blessed so they can bless someone else. They they are actually marching toward gladness instead of hoarding and hiding. And Oh, I can't trust you. And the more money I get, the less I can trust people. Well, you can, you can't trust people when you're broke. So you ain't got to worry about that. God will bring the right people in your life, and and uh, it, it'll be okay. So so Solomon's saying, I, I've seen the difference between both sides. There's a side of people who, at the end of the day, they are actually filled with gladness, and that is really what we want to be. And uh, so in another version, it says it this way, God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood of the past. And so we close with this declaration, and this is what I'm teaching us, that I believe we're coming into a season of wealth. The Bible does say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, and that there is... There is theological proof for a transfer of wealth because God is tired of it being in the wrong hands. Even if you look at James 5, it basically says money is tired of being in evil hands. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad, but it gets tired of being in evil. It would rather be in good. And so this is our declaration. We are marching toward a new normal where kingdom wealth is our portion, gladness is common, and the pains of the past are only in our rear view mirror. So that's where we're heading toward, cause our focus is not the money. Our focus is God first. But if he brings us material things, we're going to use it for the kingdom and we're going to enjoy some of it for ourselves. And we're going to everybody's going to be glad in the process. That's where we're headed, and that's what we're believing for. All right, let's bow our heads and let's close in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. We love you and we appreciate you. We understand there is a level of kingdom wealth that is coming and we're trying to prepare our hearts for it. And how we prepare our hearts for it is by not focusing on the wealth, by focusing on you, focusing on your kingdom, focusing on your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if in all of that you bring wealth, we will use it properly and we will be glad to do it. And for that, we give you praise and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Uh, have a great week. Move in kingdom blessings in all you say and in all you do. Thanks for watching. See you next week. God bless you. We love you. We even say bye to Siri since she felt like she wanted to join Bible study today.